And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Hello out there in Radio Land, and welcome to a special miniature episode of One Track Mind that I'm creatively calling OTM Mini. I am Ryan Luis Rodriguez, your wonky yet affable host and born-again cinephile. On OTM Mini, we give bite-sized little morsels that tackle movies we normally wouldn't get around to on the podcast proper, and this week is no exception. David Cronenberg's atypical 1979 film, Fast Company. When I was in the initial planning stages of this podcast, I planned to discuss this film alongside RoboCop and Ninja 3 The Domination, just to let you know where my head is at, but eventually I set it aside for bigger game. So it's a pleasure that these mini-episodes allow me to venture off the beaten path. Here's the plot description from the back cover of the Blue Underground Blu-ray. In between his horror fits Rabbit and the Brood, award-winning director David Cronenberg immersed himself in the gritty world of top-fuel dragsters to make what he considers to be one of the most important movies of his entire career. Genre icons William Smith, Red Dawn, Maniac Cop, John Saxon, Enter the Dragon, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and drive-in goddess Claudia Jennings in her final role before her tragic death star in this surprising story of a corporate-sponsored racing team and the explosive obsessions that speed them through lives of fast cars, fast cash, and, yes, fast company. The disc is broken into three interesting pieces. There's a brief interview with Smith and Saxon, an interview with director of photography Mark Irwin, and an audio commentary with Cronenberg. The first interview with Smith and Saxon allows the actors to speak to their experiences as genre character actors, which is always instantly fascinating. Those guys that never really played the leading man, but always hung around on the periphery and added a sense of credibility to the proceedings. Saxon in particular is a presence that I always treasure, especially now that he's sadly passed away. From the likes of Black Christmas to the aforementioned Enter the Dragon and A Nightmare on Elm Street, and even a like a two-word cameo in From Dust Till Dawn, which he's awesome in, even though he's barely in a scene. I'm less familiar with William Smith, at least as far as I can remember, but he was just as surprised as the audience that he ended up as the protagonist of Fast Company. And according to Cronenberg, was incredibly anxious at the prospect, it being out of his wheelhouse. The interview with Mark Irwin is just as interesting, as it reveals new details to my knowledge of the cinematographer who became one of Cronenberg's most trusted cinematic allies. Apparently, Cronenberg shot his early films himself, like Stereo and Crimes of the Future, not to be confused with the 2022 film of the same name, and the Blue Underground disc features both films, as does the Criterion disc for 1979's The Brood, which we'll get to shortly. Irwin apparently wrote a term paper on these early projects in film school in Canada before graduating in 1973, and moved on to documentaries before shooting his first narrative film, Starship Invasions, 
1978, which made for an outstanding Riff Tracks VOD. In 1978, he shot a sports drama called Blood and Guts and a 1979 science fiction film called Plague before being tapped to work on Fast Company. Cronenberg's earlier films, 1975's Shivers and 1977's Rabid, had been shot by Robert Saad and René Verzier, respectively. And when Irwin took on the position for Fast Company, Cronenberg found his man and he shot every film of his until 1986's The Fly. He was planning on shooting 1988's Dead Ringers, back when it was known as Twins, guess why that changed, which led to the introduction of Peter Shusitsky, who became Cronenberg's key collaborator right up until Crimes of the Future, which I discussed on a recent episode of the podcast proper in Ryan's Recommendations. Irwin promptly proved to be invaluable, utilizing his documentary past to shoot the pit stop scenes in Cinema Verite, which caused some friction with the camera crew, but he was dedicated to achieving a sense of verisimilitude, a word that comes up a lot on this podcast for good or for ill, and also had the unenviable task of making Edmonton, Canada look like Montana. Cronenberg has been famous for never shooting his films in the United States, choosing his aforementioned country of origin, aside for a couple of films that were filmed in Europe and Asia, namely M. Butterfly. Later that same year, 1979, Irwin returned from Italy, where he shot a feature for Canadian television, and he shot what could be regarded as his first real Cronenberg movie, The Brood, and I can't think of a directorial one-two punch that is less predictable and varied than Fast Company and The Brood. To go from fast cars to miniature mutations, that takes versatility, and it's something that Cronenberg and Irwin rarely get credit for, perhaps because he never really did it again. That brings us to Cronenberg himself, who didn't sit down for an interview, and instead is only represented in audio form for a commentary, and you know it's going to be interesting, and it's questionable if it's going to be informative, when the director kicks things off by revealing that he hadn't seen the film in 25 years, around the time the film was released. He reveals some details that would probably go unnoticed, like the fact that it was the first original soundtrack that he ever had, having previously used library music, for his early films, and the fact that he would listen to the crew surrounding the car races and hear dialogue that he could incorporate into the film, having rewritten the script, a rare script that he didn't develop and instead polished. As much as Fast Company doesn't feel like a Cronenberg movie, there are no STD slugs or body horror of any kind, it was no less personal to the director who explains that he was, and still is, a car freak, once a road racer, and felt that he could tell a drag racing story. In his commentary, he felt that he could still smell the oil on set, and felt that shooting from inside funny cars had not been done successfully since, and he does a tremendous job of putting the audience in the jump seat. He incorporated the mythology of the Western into the story, something that will reappear in the next minisode, hint hint, which is why one of the characters is named Billy the Kid. 
Cronenberg was fascinated with the culture, found it very brutal but sophisticated in its technology, going from 0 to 240 miles per hour in 4 seconds. He found that the earth would just shake, and wanted to communicate that to the audience, resisting making an action movie, instead focused on making a tone piece. That said, Fast Company does feature a few explosions, gotta get that blood up somehow, and one of them wasn't captured well on film. Thankfully, a video crew on set caught it from the right angle, so Cronenberg improvised a scene where William Smith watches it on television to incorporate the footage at a lower resolution. The film was also recorded in mono, which might seem absurd for something set in such a noise-intensive world, but it was a regular occurrence at the time, especially for budget films. On the other hand, he finally had the money to build sets, having previously been stuck with on-location work, so he could finally work from the ground up. The commentary is great, boasting that trademark dry humor that accompanies all Cronenberg's tracks, and it's interesting to learn that he's unable to watch his movies as movies, instead seeing them as a document of the time, remembering only what it was like on the fringes of scenes, and can only tolerate them via commentary. My favorite bit concerns a scene featuring a topless woman being drizzled with motor oil on her breasts, not because it's erotic, get your head out of the gutter, because the scene was dropped to secure a PG rating, and Cronenberg was genuinely disappointed that he's never likely to see it again, even going so far as to say, too bad you're never gonna see it, and moments later, the scene appears, and he seems so happy at its inclusion, going so far as to cheekily call it one of the great moments of cinema. For what it's worth, he also shot a wet t-shirt contest. That didn't make the cut. Fast Company was sold to an American distributor that promptly went bankrupt, and was held up as an asset in litigation, and therefore never really got a proper exhibition. The Blue Underground Disc is likely as handsome a production as it's ever going to get. And while I wouldn't regard it as essential Cronenberg, if you want to get a sense of true varied interests from one of our finest auteurs, especially one that has just turned 80 and won't likely be returning to the screen, you could do a lot worse. That'll do it from now. Stay tuned for a full-blown episode next week. And two weeks from now, we continue the odyssey known as OTM Mini. Don't forget to check us out on the social medias at One Track Mind Pod on X, Ugh. one that is the numeral one Track Mind podcast on Instagram, One Track Mind on Blue Sky, on Facebook on Podchaser, or send an email for perhaps a future Q&A at OneTrackMindPodcast at gmail.com. Also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash OneTrackMindPodcast for exclusive bonus content and every episode early. See you soon. Dawn, that's the end.